Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is sponsored by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with the Squarespace website. Go to squarespace.com and set your website apart. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the one where Chuck and Jerry, who are old, reminisce about Evil Knievel. We're all the same age now, buddy. Yeah, that's true. We're all in our 40s. But I wasn't suddenly catapulted or imbued with memories of Evil Knievel. So you don't have any? I had a... I guess not. I mean, his star was fading by... 78, 79. Let me ask you what the stunt cycle was like. Was it a ramp where a man on a motorcycle was like wedged in and then you like pulled a ripcord and it shot off? Well, that's what Jerry was just talking about. The version I had of the Evil Knievel stunt cycle Hmm. was a little unit that had a ramp that this little motorcycle and doll on the motorcycle action figure would, you could click it into place and then there was a crank on the side, okay. and you cranked it, cranked it, cranked it, cranked it, and then I think it was a button or something you hit to release it, and it would go flying off. Okay, but Jerry, you had the ripcord one. She's me- misremembering. I think she realizes. That. I had something with the ripcord. Oh, I guess yeah? It was like a knockoff of it or something. You had the awful canoffle. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Chuck. Which we'll get to. Yeah. That's actually a real thing. That was smart. Not a real toy. No. There's a real human who lived and died in Butte, Butte, Montana. But Evil Knievel was a big deal for me as a kid, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was right in there at like six and seven years old mm-hmm. when he was doing his biggest stunts on ABC Wide World of Sports seemingly every weekend. Yeah. No, by the time I was like... Becoming aware of the world, he had already spent all his money and was bankrupt. Right. Like you were like 17. <laughs> You're like, whoa, where am I? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Why is everybody looking at me? Why am I still wearing a diaper? <laughs> so part of this inspiration for picking this was uh, I saw the documentary Being Evil a few weeks ago. The Johnny Knoxville one? Yeah. Good? Um, It's not bad. Oh, Johnny Knoxville's at home going, yes. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't great, but um, 
I think the bar for documentaries is higher than it's ever been. Yeah. As far as like entertaining you. You know, they're making another five or six episodes of Making a Murderer. That's what I heard. Um, it was okay though. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Too, too many, too many interviews with modern day people. Yeah. That can easily ruin a, a documentary. Talking about, you know, what he meant to them and stuff. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Go take your memories and go to hell. <laughs> oh. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But it, it was good. It was, you know, I watched it on a plane. It was worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You watched it on a plane and you weren't watching us instead? <laughs> no, I don't watch <laughs> us. But we're kind of funny. Yeah, that's what I'm told. You're missing out, pal. Internet Roundup's the finest thing anywhere. <laughs> All right, so Evil Knievel was born in October 17th, 1938 in Butte, Montana. Yep. A rough and tumble mining town. Yeah. Still to this day, I imagine, but back then? I doubt if it's genteel. But um, watching this documentary, uh, he made a very strong point several times about how tough it was. And like right. the men got in, like there were fights every day. It was just rampant fighting and misogyny sure. in this town. I think that's what it says, like, on the welcome to Butte. <laughs> and, of course, it was the 1930s and 40s, so that kind of stuff was a little more acceptable. I guess, yeah. But he, throughout his career, he was he was a bit of a misogynistic jerk. Oh, yeah, he took that whole mentality and really ran with it. Yeah. But I read elsewhere um, that the... The movie that was made about him starring George Hamilton, which, which he one? supposedly yeah. didn't like, is called Evil Knievel. Yeah, there, there's been several. But this is, I think, the first one. It was in 1971, yeah. I think, when he was really just starting to like gain his fame. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written by the guy who wrote Apocalypse Now. Yeah, John Milius. And he... There's a great documentary about him, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently the way that he wrote the movie really um, created in Evil Knievel's mind Mm -hmm. the Evil Knievel persona. Yeah. And so he really adopted that, like, macho, bravado, tough thing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, he was a tough kid before then and a tough dude, but uh, apparently that really kind of, like, laid the groundwork for him to be like, oh, this is how I speak in public. And, Uh yeah, I will go ahead and punch that cameraman's lights out. That kind of thing. He literally adopted it. Like, in the the documentary, he, you know, in the movie... The John Milius script in the movie, there's a lot of long uh, uh, voiceover dialogue uh-huh. from George Hamilton as Evil Knievel. Yeah. And like, you know, I would look the beast in the eye and I would knew I would have to make the jump. And then it would cut to Evil Knievel saying these things. Yeah. Like he would literally lift a dialogue from his own movie. I see. To use in That's the press a- <laughs> stuff. It was very funny. Man. And rumor had it that he, he didn't, uh, when it came time to like read the script, he was like, you read it to me. Oh, yeah. And he had, like, George Hamilton read him the entire script. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He, uh, well, he did drop out of school. Yeah. So he was a kid, 1938, born in Butte. Tough town, had, uh, first of two kids. His family, his birth parents pretty much abandoned him to his paternal grandparents. Yeah. And kind of just checked out. Said, so long, evil. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened to them, but they, they did not stick around as parents, which had to have a bad effect on him. Yeah. I, I have the impression, though, that his grandparents raised him 
as best they could. Yeah. He wasn't neglected or anything like that. No. But I, th- I think, uh, it was one of those situations where you tend to have a lot more, um, uh, free time True. when you're being raised by your grandparents uh, than yeah. by your parents. Yeah. Who have a little more energy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, early on in life, he kind of found he had a knack for this, uh, P.T. Barnum-esque way of drumming up, yeah. uh, attention, which would serve him later in life. Yeah. Uh, when he was a little paper boy, he would outsell his counterparts by, um, making up headlines or at the very least sensationalizing the headlines. Right. Uh, so he could sell more papers. Elk goes on killing rampage. <laughs> and by the way, I got most of my stuff from, uh, the Evil Knievel website, his own website. Yeah, which I believe is operated by his son, Kelly. Yeah. At least he's he's uh, signed on to it. It's like an official biography. Yeah, and it, it was a very much more complete biography than what we had on our own website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I also use the New York Times obituary. Those are always good. Those are good. There's a great New Yorker article I found about the guy. We'll talk about him later. I, there was a great New Yorker article. I read a good review of the, the Johnny Knoxville documentary. Yeah. There's some other stuff around there. Was it written by Johnny Knoxville? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Brilliant. Four stars. So uh, he goes away to um, the Army because he got in a lot of trouble growing up with steel hubcaps and motorcycles and things. Yeah. So he was faced with prison time or army. He chose army and then eventually came back to Butte and married a woman named Linda Bork, who he stayed married to for many, many, many years. Until I think 1995. Yeah. Or 97, one of the two. You just watch this documentary, man. You feel so bad for this lady. Oh, I'm sure. Because she's very sweet and you could just see the, the heartbreak on her face of being married to this man who just flagrantly, flagrantly cheated on her. Mm Mm-hmm hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times through the years. So one of the things I saw was that he did that, but he also revered her. So how did they get into the the documentary of how he managed to balance that or rationalize that, or is that just not the case? Yeah, I don't know, man. The documentary doesn't paint a very pretty picture of the man himself. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently that, that would be a very glossy thing to do. Yeah. Because there was a lot of stuff about this guy that's not so hot. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um. But he, I mean, you would have thought the guy was single because he's literally like on TV, like leaving the casino drunk with like four women. And, you know, he'll yell at the cameraman like, you want to follow us to our room? And, you know, we're in the honeymoon suite. And, you know, his wife's at home. Watching this on TV? Yeah. It's terrible. So he worked, uh, he went back home to Butte, worked at a mining company for a while, he uh, apparently then uh, worked on the surface of the mine and uh, got fired when he <laughs> drove a uh, a bulldozer, uh, wheelie style, into the power lines, causing the city to lose power. Which, uh, this is a perfect example to me of this legend of Evil Knievel, right? Right here. Some of this when sounds you, made up. When you hear about it, even if it's real, uh-huh. especially if it's real, when you hear about it, you're like, what a what a legend, you know? Yeah. But imagine like being on that site, yeah, watching this happen, having your life just <laughs> risked by some jackass, yeah. Um, and then the entire town of Butte being uh, like out of electricity for hours, yeah, because some guy did a wheelie in an earth mover. If you like really put yourself in the position of like being there in reality and seeing this uh-huh. unfold, he's a menace. 
Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and he recounts his story with like a whiskey about how great it was. Right, or exactly. Um, in 1956, he finally got in some real trouble and was uh, sent to a jail. And this is where his uh, nickname came up because there in the jail with him was one William Knoffel. And he was actually nicknamed Awful Knoffel. Right. That's where I made up that dumb joke. I thought it was a great joke. <laughs> well, thanks. And so apparently the guy, the, the jailer, said, we have Awful Knoffel and Evil Knievel. And um, later in life, when he would get a sponsorship, mm-hmm. he would officially take on the name Evil, but he changed it from an I to an E because he didn't want to be associated with being evil. Yeah, he had this really weird duality or oh, dichotomy yeah. going on where I guess he wanted to be good, but he really just wasn't necessarily. Yeah. But he was always like, that's why he wore the white, mm-hmm. red, white, and blue, because he didn't want to be associated with like Hell's Angels yeah. or black leather Yeah, because clothes. one of the things that Evil Knievel did was to, to introduce motorcycles to the rest of America in yeah. a non-Hell's Angels way. Right. Because after World War II... You know, everybody on a motorcycle was a member of a motorcycle gang. Right. And that was what America thought of people on motorcycles. Evil Knievel comes along and he's like, no, no, look, you can jump over Greyhound buses with these things. (laughs) As long as you're wearing red, white, and blue, you're you're fine. Right. And he was also inspired, too, with the capes and things by um, Elvis, of course, Mm -hmm. and um, Liberace, which might seem like an odd inspiration, but he thought Liberace was like the greatest showman on earth. Yeah. Like he and Elvis, so why not? And when you saw his private life, he lived like Elvis, very lavish spender. Yeah. Um, not smart with money. Yeah, he said that there's, there's nothing, no matter how expensive it is, that he's not gonna have two of. Yeah, he was one of those. <laughs> like, you know, had two yachts, had two planes. Yeah. He said, I've, I've owned every diamond, I've slept with every kind of woman I wanted to. Yeah, apparently he had a yacht that you you could land a helicopter on. It had a helipad. Could it land two? <laughs> <laughs> one on top of the other. The bottom one had to be turned off at the time, though, right? or else it'd be bad. Yeah, that would be bad. Uh, but he was a heck of an athlete. Um, as a youngster, he was a, a a really good hockey player. He was a champion ski jumper. Uh, he actually played, and this is an amazing story, he played amateur hockey, or I guess semi-pro hockey, and with that P.T. Barnum quality, he actually cooked up a real exhibition match with the Czechoslovakian national hockey team in 1960. Yeah. He somehow cooked this event up to have them come to Montana to play them. Right. And it worked. Yeah, it did work. The The Czech Olympic hockey team came and played the Butte Bombers. It's amazing. I didn't see who won. I, I'm sure that it would say the Bombers won. Yeah, they didn't. So I'm just assuming the Czechs just mopped the floor with the Butte Bombers. They did. Um, here's another example of like, God, what a, what a scamp. What uh-huh. a legend. Yeah. Whereas if you put yourself in the real situation, you're like, what? Yeah. Take it away, Chuck. Well, uh, after the match, well, he gets kicked out of the match conveniently mm-hmm. in the third period and disappears from the venue. And then afterward, the Czech team went to the box office and they're like, all right, where are, where's our money from the sales of the receipts, uh, the tickets, cause we were promised a certain amount. Yeah. And they're like, there is no money. It's, it's vanished. It's stolen. Someone stole it. Who could it have been? I know. 
Now, here's the thing. If he, like, that's, that's not good, right? Right. But if he went back and was like, hey, fellow hardworking Butte bombers, here's- Here's your cut. Exactly, <laughs> you know, your, your equal percentage of the proceeds. Yeah. Um, we, the Czech team's gonna be taken care of by the International Olympic Committee, which is what happened. Right. We, and we can really use this cash. If he did that, maybe there's like a Robin Hood thing going on. If he kept it all to himself, come on. That's just like, that's theft, that's burglary. Yeah. And it doesn't explicitly say that he's the one who took it either. No. It's like this hint. Uh, alright, let's take a break. Okay. And we'll, uh, we'll get more into Evil Knievel after this. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, Chuck. And I don't mean to be knocking your childhood hero. Well, no, he's knocked. By I've, Knoxville. After, and, you know, I never looked up to him like, I want to be just like him one day. I think a lot of kids did, though. Like, I jumped my bike and stuff and played with a toy, but... um, Did I, you ever hurt yourself? Uh, Never an injury from a bike jump. Gotcha. I mean, I got hurt. I got stitches a lot growing up. I never broke bones. Right. I was always getting cut. So he inspired you. He You didn't idolize him. No, exactly. Okay. Um, there were apparently... Uh, there was a paper published in 1976 in the journal Pediatrics. This is from, I think, that New Yorker article where... These doctors created a term called the evil Knievel syndrome, uh-huh. where there is this outbreak of ER visits by young boys oh, sure. who were injuring themselves across America. Yeah. And it was like happening with enough frequency that these doctors were like warning parents about this. Yeah. They're like, your kids are watching this guy and then jumping their bikes and breaking their arms. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, I remember the incentive to jump higher and longer. <laughs> because of him. Yeah. I will say that. I got you. Like, oh, here's a bike jump, but like, let's make it two feet higher and let's stretch it out and then let's put something in between. Like, your friends are going to lay down on the ground <laughs> and you're going to jump over them. 
<laughs> like the, it definitely brought a different element to to play. Gotcha. So I can verify that. I gotcha. But I never got injured. And maybe I should have my friends hold a ring of fire. <laughs> well, I told you in that other show that I used to light the ring of fire and jump the stunt cycle through it. Awesome. Um, so, all right, now we're in the 1960s. He is, uh, he, the first motorcycle action he gets into officially was a motorcycle racing circuit. So he would race bikes, mm-hmm. get in wrecks, and you'll see this over and over and over. He would crash a lot. Yeah, one of the things about Evil Knievel and what he was doing is... He wasn't very good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whether he made it or not, it didn't matter. Yeah. He still got paid and he still got the publicity. Oh, even more so if he he crashed. Right. He was well aware that if he did crash, it would draw more people out to the next one. Yeah. Because I think he said people didn't come to see him die. They came to see him defy death. Right. So he was never all like, you just want to see me die, you pack of jackals yeah it was you know he kind of got that people were like yeah maybe this guy's not gonna make it and i don't want to miss that but yeah. i do want him to make it but if he doesn't i still want to see well I see his head come clean off <laughs> and here was the thing too by watching this doc he went he didn't study the physics or was not even advised <laughs> on the physics of these jumps wow like you need so much ramp area yeah. this much speed in order to reach this kind of height and this much length he would just say, like, he would just eyeball it yeah. and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go fast as I can with whatever <laughs> space I have. That's fascinating. And he knew going into a lot of these jumps that he wasn't likely to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I've got this one. But his one one way he was a very stand-up guy was he always did it. Well, that was one of his things was that he said that keeping your word was extremely important. Yeah, he was he was in that's, that way. That's what he said to kids. Yeah, he didn't back out of a jump. Although, again, dichotomously, he was famous for not paying his bills. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Dichotomous is right. So he's racing motorcycles at this point. He's crashing all over the place. He eventually gets a job. He, he kind of had a bunch of little odd jobs over the years selling insurance. Uh, well, that one seemed to come really close to being a career for him. Yeah, he was good at it. Yeah, he was very good at it, and they wouldn't promote him, so he quit. But before then, he really got good at selling insurance. Yeah, and supposedly he wanted to become vice president after three months on the job. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. So he thought a lot of himself. Yeah. To say the least. He uh, he supposedly sold 271 policies in one day. To mental patients at yeah. an institution. And then there's that. <laughs> uh, eventually he would open a, he would move to Washington State, Moose's Lake. I'm sorry, Moses Lake. I like Moose's Lake better. Sure. Um, and open a Honda dealership, Honda motorcycle dealership, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a tough sell at the time. Honda motorcycles were not, and just regular motorcycles, like you said, weren't all the rage. No, but especially not Japanese ones. No couple decades after World War II. Absolutely. So he started thinking of ways to draw people in. Well, he offered a $100 discount to anybody who could beat him in arm wrestling. Yeah. But that w- was implied that you had to buy the motorcycle. But you get 100 bucks off. Yeah, there's something about these dudes. Mm-hmm. Like the P.T. Barnums, the Harry Houdinis. The, uh, the uh, um, uh, Sarah the Barracuda's husband. Who's the lady? Sarah Palin's husband. Sarah Palin's husband. Yeah, remember he was like, they called him the first dude of Alaska. Oh, really? He like 
race snowmobiles through do donuts in like the town square and stuff. Yeah, that guy then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was very much in this vein. Oh, Although yeah. he wasn't a self-promoter, he was just a dude. Oh, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he wasn't selling a lot of Honda bikes, so he would offer to arm wrestle for money, and he'd start to <laughs> to do tricks, like to do wheelies in the parking lot mm-hmm. and ride, you know, the old trick where you ride through the firewall, you like, know, they'd set like a wooden wall on fire oh, and you yeah, yeah, yeah. bust through it on your motorcycle. Right, right, yeah. So oh, kinda, the firewall. Yeah, what, what do you think I said? Firewall. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so sort of minor motorcycle stunts are going on at this point in his career. Well, and this came out of meeting a guy named um, Jim Pomeroy, who raced motorcycles. Yeah. And he worked at Jim Pomeroy's brother's, I think, dealership or shop, and he learned a lot of stuff from that guy. That was huge. Yeah. Um, and then prior to that, he had worked for a dude named W. Clement Stone, at the insurance company that yeah. he worked for. And W. Clement Stone co- co-authored a um, book called Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. It was a self-help book. Yeah. And um, I guess uh, Evil Knievel picked it up and read it. And that really helped form another vital part of his personality. Yeah. Which is, you know, like you get out there and you do it and like... Um, whether you want to or not, hard work will help you persevere. And yeah. just that whole kind of like rah, rah, all America can do spirit. Yeah. Um, that he just basically personified. Apparently it came from that. I'm surprised he was a good candidate for Scientology. <laughs> yeah. You know, here I want you to read this book <laughs> called Dianetics. So, uh, the other thing he was inspired by as a kid that he hearkened back to later in his life was, uh, going to a stunt show, uh, from a guy named Joey Chitwood. And, uh, he was a motorcycle daredevil and a little evil, um, little Robert Knievel at well, the time. He was a car, car driver. Oh, he wasn't a motorcycle No, guy. that was Evil Knievel's big innovation. Okay. He's like, I'm going to do this on motorcycles. Yeah, because it's even more dangerous. <laughs> right. Uh, but he was inspired as a little kid to do something like this. And, uh, eventually he said, you know what? I'm going to c- cook up my own show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the promoter. I'm going to be the marketer. Write the press release. I'm going to be the MC Sell for my the own tickets. show. Yeah, he did everything. He did, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, he was, he was a tenacious guy. He yeah. did not fall into his money right. by accident. I'm going to single-handedly rob the box office. <laughs> uh, I bet you the, how he robbed the box office is basically going up and saying, hey, Jeannie, just uh, yeah, just go ahead and give me all the money. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. This is your show. Sure, I'll call you later. And he, yeah, exactly. Um. All right, where are we here? Oh, so he's at his first show that he did right. everything for, and I, I can't remember where it was. This is where he jumped to the rattlesnakes and the mountain lions. <laughs> yeah. So he got himself a bunch of rattlesnakes, mm-hmm. put them in a box, tied up two mountain lions around the box, and then put a ramp on either side of this whole setup. Yep. And jumped it. And apparently almost made it, but the, the back wheel of his bike knocked the box over and I guess the rattlesnakes all escaped toward the crowd. Is that, that sounds like a bit of a stretch to probably how it really happened. Uh-huh. Um, that's just a guess though. Yeah. But I guess the allure there was kids showed up literally thinking he might crash and be descended upon by lions and snakes <laughs> right. <laughs> right in front of our eyes. Can I please go mom and dad? <laughs> Cause you know what snakes would do if a motorcycle crashed by him, they would say, go get him right. that way. <laughs> They wouldn't slither off in fear for their life. Right. 
or they, they'd go after, they'd be like, now's our chance. <laughs> now's our chance to take this guy out. So he, uh, was putting on more and more of these solo shows and he realized he needed a sponsor if he wanted to really kind of kick it up a notch. Yeah, because he needed help. Yeah. He needed to not have to write all the press releases himself. Sure. So he could hire folks. He hired, he got a sponsor named Bob Blair who owned, uh, ZDS Motors and he kept them, uh, flush with motorcycles and cash. And, um, he started his own stunt show. Mm-mm. And this is where he finally changed his name. Originally it was called, uh, I think Bobby Knievel and his motorcycle daredevils. Mm-hmm. And then the guy, uh, the sponsor said, no, everyone knows you as Evil Knievel. Call yourself Evil Knievel. And he said, all right, but let's spell it with an E because I don't, you know, everyone knows I'm a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a role model. Yeah. Uh, so then in 1966, he debuts that show in Indio, California. Yeah. And it was a big success. Crashed through firewalls. Yeah. Um, it was a success, but he also was injured, right? Sure. He was, well, this one was when he tried to stand there on the ground. This was a big trick he did. <laughs> and he would leap up into the air, spread eagle, and a motorcycle would drive between his legs. Okay. So the one in Indio, California went without a hitch. It was the one a couple of weeks later in Barstow, yeah, where that didn't go so well. That trick, no, and you can see this footage, like, oh, it's out there. Oh yeah, I didn't see that one. Yeah, yeah, the motorcycle helmet of the driver <sighs> hits him square in the crotch, and he flips up like fifteen <laughs> feet in the air and lands on the ground. And he's not, you know, he's not wearing a helmet and pads on this because he's on the ground. Yeah, why would he? He's not the one on the motorcycle. Yeah, so it did not go well. <laughs> To say the least. He, well, yeah, he went into the hospital for a couple of weeks. But when he came out, he went right back and finished the show like yeah. a month later. And that became a hallmark. If he couldn't finish the show then, he would come back mm-hmm. to the same town and complete the jump that he crashed. And the crowd wouldn't be allowed to leave the Coliseum until wait. he came back <laughs> a month later. We've been living here for four weeks. <laughs> it get pretty gamey in those places. So then he decided to do his own solo performances. Uh, the Daredevil show broke apart, and he said, I don't need those guys anyway, and started doing his solo shows. And in 1966 in Montana, Missoula, he kind of had his first big car jump where he jumped 12, uh, jumped 12 cars in a cargo van, and he crashed that one as well. <laughs> he crashed a lot. He did crash a lot. I think I saw that he... Landed as often as crashed, but from going over like his stunts, it seems like he crashed more than he landed. Well, and he would usually crash upon a semi-successful land. Right. Like he would hit the ground and for a second you think he made it. Yeah. But keep in mind, he was jumping a 300 pound street cycle. Like mm-hmm. they modified it some over the years mm-hmm. and he would eventually end up with the Harley XR750 as his main bike, but these were not the bikes that they used to jump in the X Games. Today. Oh yeah, not light, not close. Yeah, like the things they use today are built exactly for that. Right. And did you see the world record jump, the current one? No, dude, it's nuts. How far does the guy go? He jumped a football field. Oh wow! I don't remember how many feet it ended up being exactly, but it's it looks like. It's a, it's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. How far this guy jumps, <laughs> and how and out. how smooth it all went, like the takeoff, the approach, mm-hmm. the landing. It was all just like butter. Was it Tony Hawk who did it? 
I think it was. But you watch like this guy's jump today and how just flawless and beautiful and graceful it is. And then watch watching Evil Knievel's Evil jump. Knievel's jumps. And it's funny by comparison. Because he was clearly a skilled motorcycle rider. I'm not saying that. Well, but, yeah. Oh, man. No, he could like ride a motorcycle standing on it. And yeah. Doing all sorts of cool tricks. But yeah, there's the 300 pounds is a definite handicap in jumping cars and things and buses. Well, yeah, when you and when you look at the footage compared to today, what your immediate thought is is this guy had no idea what he was doing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he didn't. Yeah, he wasn't studying the science of it. So, no. so he started his whole thing was when he would come back to a town, the same town. To get people to come, he would just add another car or two. Yeah. Just make it bigger. Sure. People wanted to see longer, farther jumps or a different kind of car. Like in Yakima, Washington, he once jumped or tried to jump a number of Pepsi trucks. I think like 12 or 15 Pepsi trucks. Yeah. Um, didn't make it, but that's unusual. Pepsi trucks. Who's ever he tried that before? Probably got money from Pepsi. It was sponsored by Pepsi or Greyhound buses. He's, he jumped those. So he would, or uh, stacked cars. I think he might still hold the record for the number of stacked crushed cars. Because no one does that anymore. Jumped on a Harley, <laughs> specifically a Harley. Right. Which I think probably ties in. I didn't understand it before until you said that. That probably ties into that, that the yeah. record is on a Harley because you have no to be nuts to yeah. do that these days. There You'd is a guy, evil though. Knievel. So, well, there is a dude now that's trying to recreate some of his jumps using that same bike. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, is his name Eddie Braun? Mm, I don't know. I didn't Brown? catch his name. There's a dude who's a stuntman, pretty well-known stuntman, named Eddie Braun or Brown. I'm not sure. Okay. He's recreating the Snake River jump. Oh, really? This September. Oh, I saw that in the news. Yep. Like, it was in the news yesterday. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Evil Knievel's star is rising. Yep. And my eyes are getting heavy. <laughs> <laughs> When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. 
So, Chuck, Evil Knievel in uh, 67, he'd started to make a name for himself. He, he'd been on the Joey Bishop show. Sure. And uh, he was going to see a heavyweight fight in Vegas. Yeah. And while he was there, he noticed the fountains in front of Caesar's Palace. And he was like, I think I should jump those. Yeah, they spoke to him, apparently. That'd be a fine thing to jump. Yeah. And so he started to try. His star had risen, but he wasn't nearly as famous as he would be in the next few years. So he couldn't immediately get in touch with the president of Caesars. Right. Which he needed to because you got to get permission for that kind of thing. Yeah. Or sponsorship or money or something. Yeah. So he needed Caesars, um, Caesar's CEO, I think Jay Sarno is his name. Uh, he needed his blessing or his help with it. And so to do that, Get this. He decides he's going to jump Caesars in Dece- in November. Mm-hmm. After just two months, he's got the whole thing set up and is doing the jump. Yeah, but he New had Year- to- New Year's Eve, nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah, is what happened. He had to hound the guy though to get him to do it, and he actually kind of um, duped him a little bit. Yeah, he made up. Uh, he he made a series of calls from uh, as different people. Um, sometimes he was a lawyer calling Sarno. Sometimes he was an executive from ABC TV. Sometimes he was from Sports Illustrated. Yeah, asking, like, is this jump going to happen? I yeah. keep hearing about this. And he would, like, <laughs> he would take care to mispronounce Evil Knievel's name, his own name. Oh, uh, very smart. To make it sound like he didn't, it wasn't him. Yeah. Because what man would mispronounce his own name? And so I guess Sarno was like, I, I don't know who this guy is, but everyone's calling me all of a sudden. Right. Couldn't They all sound similar, but they all pronounce his name differently, right. so couldn't and, be him. And it worked. And I think he'd already been on ABC's Wild World of Sports before, right? Yeah. And so he went to them and said, hey, dudes, you guys want this. And they said, nah, but film it. And if it's awesome, maybe we'll buy it from you. And it was awesome. Yeah. It was very awesome. He hired his own film crew to uh, the filmmaker John Derrick, uh, Bo Derrick's later husband. Okay. At the time, he was married to Linda Evans. From Dynasty. From Dynasty. Who actually filmed... This. Yeah, she, the very famous shot of the crash mm-hmm. was her camera, supposedly. Yeah. She was the operator. <laughs> the lady from Dynasty. Uh, so he, he privately hired people to film it. It was the very, he made it over the fountain. It was a beautiful jump, hit the ramp, and he hit it with such force that his hands were just ripped off of the handlebars, and he looked like Super Dave Osborne <laughs> going over the handlebars, <laughs> and... He just looked like a straw dummy flopping around on the ground. Yeah, and um, it was it was a magnificent crash. It really is. It's tough to watch, but I think magnificent is the right word. For yeah, it. spectacular crash. And he um, he went back to ABC, and they were like, "Oh, we definitely want this footage." And he <laughs> said, "Well, it's a lot more expensive now." Listen, so it kind of worked out for him. We needed foresight. So Chuck that. The, when ABC buys this and puts it on wide, wide world of sports, yeah. Evil Knievel's star is made. Yes. Right? Yep. Legit and, star. And uh, that's it. That's the end of Evil Knievel. That's the end of Evil Knievel part one. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a two-parter, huh? Yeah. This story is so robust that we're going to have to split it up okay. into two parts, and uh, but we'll do a regular listener mail and sign off, right? Yeah. Let's, um, if you want to know more of Evil Knievel, just you wait. For part two. Agreed. And in the meantime, while you're waiting, uh, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this... 
Oh, interestingly, it's about ad breaks. Hey, guys, love the show. You guys are the dope show for sure. Right. Uh, I am already a researcher by trade, but your amazing podcast makes me the annoyance of all my friends because I suddenly seem to know about something uh, from everything from poop to nuclear bombs to Barbie. But I'm writing in because I've noticed uh, that when you, Chuck, prompt a commercial break, he always poses as a question to you, Josh. Uh, like, Josh, you want, you, you want to take a break? Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh always so willingly complies. Do you ever think he'll say no? Have you ever said no, Josh? Has there ever been a time where you're on such a roll and Chuck uh, asks uh, and you just want to say no in defiance? I'm going to go ahead and let you answer that. Uh, sometimes I will actually suggest an ad break and, and Chuck will say, no, let's finish this one part. And I'll say, oh, okay. That gets edited out, though. Right. <laughs> That's what she doesn't get. Uh, likewise, Chuck, have you ever worried that Josh will deny your request for a commercial break in a coup style? Uh, I don't know, but every time Chuck says, should we take a break, I just sit on the edge of my seat waiting to see if Josh pulls a fast one on us. Uh, anyway, you guys are great. Keep on being you. Eagerly awaiting the uprising. All right. Ash Hill. We'll keep an eye out for it then. Maybe we just will do that. I will do that. All right. Yeah, I'm sick of getting kicked around with the ad break thing. Great. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that email. We appreciate you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on uh, Instagram, also at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours, too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater.